0: Then I went to Cambodia and uh, worked on uh, a book, which was my sabbatical project, and uh, finished that up this week. So um, last week, Jason talked about justification, and he actually talked about how that justification is it's the way we are made right with God, and he actually used the example of uh, justification and we're processing. So want full justification, right justification, left justification, and it's a straight line. I like that illustration, Jason. This week we're talking about growing in faith. That is, uh, after we make a confession of faith and we're justified before God, then what's next? Some people make a mistake of making up a confession of faith and never go any further. And this process of growing in Christ is called sanctification. with that theological circles. And what it means is just doing life with Jesus and being transformed to be more like him. So today's sermon is primarily aimed at people who have been our new believers, maybe less than three years. It may have found more, but that's primarily what it's aimed at. And there are some serious things that might prevent us from beginning the, the transformation process with Christ. Um, some, of the, some of us carry a tremendous weight of guilt and shame over past dramatic events. When I was nine years old, uh, I was on the back lot of my parents' house. They have there was a bunch of trees near our house on a little creek that was had water in the wet season. And I was going out there in the trees, walking around, doing what nine-year-old boys do, I don't know, baking fork or something. And I found some pornographic magazines. I didn't even know what they were, I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know if I liked it or I didn't like it. Uh, soon after that I found out that a neighbor boy who was 17 or 18 years old actually put them there and he invited me into his house and I thought it was pretty cool As a 9 year old and had an older kid interested in me and over the next few months I don't know exactly how much time he uh, groomed me during that time and in the end actually an uh, overnight uh, stay uh, sexually violated me I don't tell you that because I want you to pity. I tell you that to say that for a number of years I buried that. But those things have a way of affecting your life and driving your behavior. And I probably have some company in here. Maybe it's not that kind of trauma, but you have some kind of trauma. In your background, and because of that trauma, you carry a weight of guilt and shame in my case, it was irrational guilt and shame. Maybe I could have done something to prevent that. Maybe I should have run away. Um, maybe I shouldn't have told somebody. Uh, he threatened that if to, uh, I told anybody, he'd kill me. and I, I believed him as a nine-year-old. So, the sense of shame that we feel sometimes is that at a gut level and it makes us feel like God can't love me. God can't love me. And you've heard the saying, God is good all the time? Sometimes the way Christians act, we might think that God is mad all the time. Think that song, God is mad all the time. He wants to speak like a poet. <laughs> There's a difference between uh, what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And uh, guilt and shame can cause us to have serious doubts about God accepting us and God's goodness. Matthew uh, 15 89, Jesus here is talking to the Pharisees. Pharisees were a group of people who were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they were very focused on outward appearance. And Jesus got cross with them because he focused more on the attitude of the heart. So the Pharisees would say, I'm good with God, I've never, I've never murdered anybody. And Jesus said, Yeah, but did you think about it? Did you ever think you could get away with it? So Jesus takes things to the attitude. Of the heart. And in response to uh, their questioning, he says, This, he is quoting the prophet Isaiah here. God says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The lips follow conformity, but the heart follows what we sincerely believe. If I ask you today, Do you love Jesus? Or do you believe Jesus loves you? Some of you would tell me yes, even though you don't believe either one. And you'll tell me yes because maybe you like the support of people in the church or you don't want to cause problems. The point is your heart is in one place, but you say something else. And I think that's part of the human condition of being duplicitous to a certain extent. And at some point... Almost everyone doubts their faith, if they're honest. And most recently for me, it's traveling in Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, and then in Cambodia. And seeing people in grinding poverty, people who are hungry, who genuinely don't have enough to eat, may only have the clothes on their back and sleep in a little shack. Now, I know the theological answers for that. Um, but it's different when you're face-to-face with someone who is in extreme poverty and hungry. Because then it becomes emotional in addition to intellectual. And I'm, I've not lost my faith over this, but I've had some difficult conversations with God about Why would you do this, God? Why would you allow this? And I'm, I'm not saying God did that to them understand that we live in a fallen world, but it's hard to see. And Heather and I have talked about this too, about, you know, this, it's difficult to see that. And it's not like you can help when we give them money because you know, even Bill Gates doesn't have enough money to give to every person. There's too many of them. Part of growing in faith is being open about our doubts. Unfortunately, churches Maybe this one less so than others I've been a part of. Churches in general cause us to be closed and dishonest, not open and honest. And so I think for, for real healing, real transformation to take place, we been to be more open and honest with each other. And not acknowledging our doubts has a way of crushing our trust and distancing us from God. And isolating, not ever saying anything about our doubts, isolating us is actually one of the techniques that cults use. If you say you don't believe it, we're going to you know, say something bad you, Or at least there's that threat. But bringing doubts out into the open has a way of disarming them. And you're not going to ask any questions or have any kind of doubt that someone else hasn't had? This Christian faith has people have scrutinized it for two thousand years, and anything you're thinking about is not going to cause the whole system to collapse. The sky is not going to fall, and God is willing to deal with your doubts. Well, how do we enter an honest relationship with God? because that really is the center of what it means to grow in faith. We do that by spending time with him. What does that look like? In John 14, 23, we see Jesus deliberately planning a time to be alone with God the Father. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, after he dismissed the crowd, he just fed the 5,000, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Spending time has to be delivered. Smartphones, probably most of you have one of those, objects, they can uh, be a horrible waste of time. You just start looking at a hashtag or searching for something and then an hour later you're still sitting there and then, you know, do they can be a tremendous time waster, but they can also be used to help us in our spiritual life. My brother, my older brother, has struggled with depression for many years. And one of the things he does is he sets alerts on his phone three times a day so that he can remember those three times. He says, When I get caught in the push and shove of life, my alarm goes off and I know that's time to stop and pray. And consider my blessings. Which if I don't do that and reconnect with God, I tend to get pushed back into the depression. So something like as simple as a little smartphone can help us, keep us on track. But then there is this idea of, of recognizing God's voice. How do we relate to somebody we can't see? That we can't touch? That's, that's kind of a basic question. And if there's anything clear about Scripture, it is that we serve a God who speaks, so how do we recognize His voice when He speaks to us? Um, So, a major part of relating to God is having a conversation with Him. And sometimes we view prayer as simply having a laundry list. I bring my list of things that I want God to do, I say amen when you go about my day Now, i you do whatever and never give God a chance to speak to us. We have to carve out some time on a regular basis to get quiet and to listen to God. And that's not easy. I, I know it's not. Sometimes it's just described in scripture depending on the translation you look at uh, the still small voice of God, or God's whisper. In 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12, we have the prophet Elijah who has run away from the Queen of Jezebel. He's hiding from her. He's really down on himself. He's depressed. He's burnt out. And God comes to him and speaks. And here's what the pastor says, 1 Kings 19, and 12. and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper. Has God spoken to you? He has to me. And I would say that ninety percent of the time when God speaks to me, He speaks to me when I am studying His Word or engaged in spiritual things like coming to a service like this and listening to a sermon, or in small groups like the Black group uh, I'm part of. But um, the unfortunate thing is that there's no Bible verse that says, "Don." I want you to travel to Myanmar and teach a class. There's no, there's no verse that says that. so how do we figure out what God wants us to do? How do we know and how do we know it's Him that's speaking to us? Well, one thing is that his voice will always be consistent with His word. those principles we see in scripture. He's never going to say anything to tell us to do anything contrary to that. So um, if I think that God has spoken to me, Who told me to go out and get in my car and drive down to uh, downtown Anchorage and and ran into a crowd of people? That's not God. Or if if I think that God has told me that I should leave Heather and marry an 18 year old girl, that's not God. It might be something else. Certainly not God. It's probably the devil. So He's always going to be consistent with His word. (laughs) Another is that. When something enters our mind, at least this is my experience, it's not something I can think of on my own. And it will also be a peaceful, subtle feeling, not nagging or accusing. If you have a nagging or accusing voice in your head, that may be yourself, you know, then your unhealthy talk to yourself, or it might be the devil, the accuser, coming to you. It's not God. And then finally, the there, there is when God speaks to me, there is an assurance as God's Spirit relates to mine, the Holy Spirit. So listening to God is important and learning to hear His voice, that's central to the growing in Christ. But there's something else. There have been more than these, there's just two I've talked to you about this morning. But another thing is. Associating with like-minded people like attending the service today. We have like groups in this church. A couple of them. Tyler and Carrie are starting one. Is your group, Yeah? yeah? Are they in here? No? Okay, I don't know if they're better or not, but they're just starting soon. And um, something as simple as meeting once a week with other people who are seeking to do life with Christ, has a tremendous potential for transforming us. And we desperately need the encouragement and the influence of other believers. Because the world is organized to push us away from God. And using willpower to try to live for God, willpower is is, is going to be like, you know, the old thing of uh, trying to put out a house fire with a water pistol, you're not going to succeed long. Advertisers and popular culture are constantly trying to persuade you. They're trying to uh, persuade you to, to buy a certain product, or do a certain thing, or watch a certain video. And people, real statistics, people check their cell phones 150 times a day. And it may seem like when you click into something, you watch a video, that it's your decision alone. But it might help us to realize that when we click on something, there's a thousand people on the other side of that click who are working on how to convince us to do that. So persuasion is a big thing. And folks who you know write, write this code and figure all this stuff out are, are very intelligent, and we're simply on our own, are no match for them. If you want to, maybe people are creeped out, there's a little add-on to Google called Ghostly. And if you add it on to Google, every time you click on the site, it will show you all the people that are watching you. have a second. Sometimes when you click on something like, if you click into uh, a new site, There'll be like 30 people monitoring your activity to try to sell you something primarily or to persuade you to do something. And also political campaigns to do this as well. And so it's really important that we make some specific strategy and be intentional about growing in faith because if we don't, we're just going to get pushed along with the tide of culture. And if we just do these two things I'm talking about this morning, it will help a great deal, and that is allowing God to speak to us and listening. Part of that is maybe Bible study, for sure. And then becoming a part of a life group. Heather and I host one in our home, we have to be part of that group. Um, there are others, other options, but you should be involved with like-minded people. Uh, Jim and Jan, you have know, one you know, the uh, everyday times group. So that's a you know, that's an important one too. But get involved with people. Because coming to a service like this is nice, but you can't really get to know people and be anything more than superficial, really, in a group like this. It certainly has value. We come together, we sing, we hear a sermon and think about God's Word, but there's another way in which life groups and those small groups relate to us, so I really encourage you to do that. And when we start to follow Christ, some things start to happen. One is, that I have noticed, is that fear about life in general begins to dissipate. In my, my own life, the tendency to latch out in anger is a lot less frequent than it used to be. Maybe your issue is gossip or lust or something like that. And as, as God begins to transform us, we become the kind of people who naturally live for him. And the things that we did in the past, those sinful things, not only do we not do them, but we become transformed in such a way that they never even enter our mind. There's a tragedy when people only make a confession of faith in Christ as Lord and Savior and never do anything else. And part of this responsibility is on the church because we have in evangelical circles presented saying the sinner's prayer almost like it's a magical incantation and not the beginning of a relationship. So it's a tragedy when people make a confession of faith and not much else. It'd be like let's say a teenage girl. Her parents bought her a brand new car. She goes and takes the written driver's test on DMV. She passes it. And then she says, Well, you know, I don't want to drive a car. It's kind of scary, and running a bicycle is more familiar. So I think I'll just do that. And she never drives a car. And she never gets to experience the freedom and the world of possibilities that comes with being able to drive a car. So I encourage you to be intentional about spending time with God, knowing that God loves you and wants the best for you. Don't be like a girl who refuses to drive her car because it's scary. Take a chance to live for God. We'll promise in Scripture, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart. Why do you sincerely don't want God with all your heart? You don't want God more than anything else. Maybe in your mind, what you want with all your heart is more money. Or, or a promotion, at, that promotion at work. Or a romantic relationship. I think we've probably all been in that place at one time or other in our lives. We really don't want to pursue God with all our heart. And um, God is not going to overpower you, He's not going to crash your party. If you're so involved in your own affairs, God will let you do your thing. The part of the spiritual walk is we assume that God is active. And sometimes we have to look at things. Like, if we want something with all our heart, why do we want that? And if we can identify those things, we can get in back of them to figure out what drives our behavior. Sometimes we don't even understand ourselves and what we do, what we do. And when we do that, people act in grace to begin to transform our character. And inner transformation comes through things like uh, spiritual disciplines. And I'm defining that broadly. Things like uh, meeting in a life group, praying, listening for God, um, and other things too. And probably some things. Sometimes we have to do things to help us grow in faith. that seem kind of silly when it comes to mind of Saint Benedict, He thought that he was being driven by lustful thoughts and that was controlling him, and so. His method is that when he had a lustful thought, he'd throw himself into a briar patch. I think that would do it. <laughs> 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 so if you see, next number, if you see me in uh, a, a, you know, a plot of uh, Devil's Club or Raspberry, you'll know what's happening. The point is, there's no exhaustive list of uh, things that we can do to relate to God. Things we can do to allow God to transform us. And so that's for reading the Bible. That's like a live group where you can associate with older believers, more mature believers, can help you with these things. You can get some feedback from them. But people change slowly. And so we have to be patient while God works with us, and maybe gives us just, you know, what we can take at the time, with the assurance that he loves us and that he has a plan for our lives. And we can depend on that foundation of God's love. Scripture tells us God created everything that is, the physical universe, he even created space and time and functions independently of time, which means that he sees our life from beginning to end. And God, knowing about our lives and all of our failures, knowing all of it, knowing the worst about us, still went to the cross and died for us and rose again as now with God the Father interceding for us. And as I understand the character of God, it isn't a miracle that he loves us. Because sometimes you know we look at ourselves and think, "Man, I'm so screwed up. God can never love me." It's not a miracle if God loves you. It would be a miracle if He didn't love you. First John four sixteen says, "God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him." Love is part of God's basic character, and He wants to help you if you seek Him. With all your heart, the promises that He will help you. You'll not be disappointed. Romans 5.8 says God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And at the foundation of our walk with Christ, doing life with Christ, there is this assumption we can make, this promise of God's love. No matter who you think you are, you're hitting a roadblock in your faith, you've lost interest, that you'll begin to seek him, you will find him. And I'm going to challenge you finally, that if you're in a place where you've kind of lost interest in spiritual things, that you can be maybe make an intentional, make an intentional in the next week to get back into God's Word. And maybe join a life group. There are a few of us around, and Tyler and Terry, uh, back there it's not at Smalley's. Uh, Heather and I, are there other life groups going on right now? We'd be happy to talk to you and say, you know, when we meet and all that stuff. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Just pray. Lord, <clears throat> you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes, I confess, but well, I don't even know what drives me to do things, But you do. You know our hearts. And Lord, you told us, you made us the promise that if we seek you with all of our hearts, you will make yourself known to us. And so I pray for all of us here, but especially for those folks who may have lost interest in spiritual things or had roadblocks and think you can never accept them, that you work in their hearts today, Lord. That's the work you do. It's not any kind of work that we can do in persuading people. And so Lord, we pray that you do a special work to help us be more open and honest with each other. Lord, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out.